all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Do you drive a vehicle? Then you'll find AutoCorrect helpful, especially on Coach Charlie's Tip of the Week. Listen to our podcast with me, Coach Charlie Melton, on any podcasting platform or on the MPB Public Media app. Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Morgan McLeod, Assistant Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at UMMC. Today we are going to be talking about uh, depression and anxiety. And I know it's not a very happy topic to discuss, but I feel like it is a pertinent one. And so I wanted to bring that up today and talk about it. So if you have any questions, comments, we would love to hear from you. You can always send us an email as well to kids at mpbonline.org. All right, so good morning, and when I was trying to think of a good topic to discuss today, uh, I started thinking about, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we had mentioned, like, being happy and healthy in 2024, and we had talked about how it's not just, you know, diet and exercise, and while that is very important, we have to think about all the other aspects of our health. And so last week, we talked a lot about sleep and how important sleep is to our health, and so um, today, I thought in continuing that, we could help talk a little bit about, like, emotional and mental health, too, because that is also extremely important. And since this is kids and teens, we are seeing it so much more in our kids and teens. Um, And it's a topic a lot of people don't like to talk about. Um, I feel like our younger generation, and that may be why we see it more in kids and teens now. I mean, number one, they have a lot more pressures on them than we ever did. But also, I feel like our teenagers and our young adolescents are better at recognizing it and better at talking about it and admitting it than even my generation, which uh – I don't think of myself as that old, but I was just telling Kevin, I feel like the 90s was 10 years ago when really it was 30 years ago. Um, So, you know. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) That's crazy. I know, right? Uh, That's what my my sister sent me, something that um, 2020, no, 2054 is the same amount of years away as 1994 now, which is just crazy to think about. Uh, Doc, I have a question on this topic. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I've seen some research that thinks that higher social media usage might contribute to some mental health issues in teenagers. Do you think that's true? A hundred percent. And I think it does in adults, too. Um, And you know, I mean, just from personal experience, I mean, we're all humans. You can't help but look at social media and compare yourself to other people or like, you know, 
how did they get to go on this trip and I didn't get to? And oh, look at their perfect life from the snow day. You know, look at all the fun activities they did. Meanwhile, I was like huddled up in my house with two crazy toddlers, like, you know, going insane because it was so cold. But, you know, it's it, you can't help but compare yourself. I mean, that is just human nature. And then when you think about our teenagers and you put that on teenagers who's – you know, they always joke, not joke, but people always say, well, my frontal cortex wasn't, you know, isn't all baked yet. And it's true, though. You know, I mean, a lot of their decision making processes, especially in boys, but girls as well. I mean, it's not it's not done forming yet. It's not mature enough to make healthy decisions all the time. And so when you put the pressures of social media and all the thing, all the different thoughts and comparison and all the things like that on the pressures of a teenager who already is not going to be able to make great decisions, you know, I, to me, it, it is obvious how it can totally mess up with our children and, and interfere with their mental health and emotional health. So um, I definitely think it's playing a part. I don't, I don't know how you can't say it's not for sure. I mean, like I said, I've we've all experienced it, even as adults and not teenagers. So, but yeah, we're seeing it more and more. And then not only the stress of that, I just feel. I mean, you know, the pressures from that. I just feel like the stress for teenagers and maybe people listening out there who have teenagers or uh, Lacey, you're younger than me, so you're more closer to teenagers than me. But you know, like. Just the pressures of the constant go, go, go. And we had that, I feel like, when I was growing up, but it's nothing like it was now. You know, I look at a lot of these teenagers, and half of them aren't getting home till 10 o'clock at night. And how are you supposed to be able to do your homework and get a good night's sleep and excel in school when you're trying to do all these other activities that your list just gets so long? Um, I don't know. I just feel like it's it's just a little different than it was. Yeah, definitely. Especially in the age of YouTube and TikTok, you're seeing 21, 22-year-olds making millions of dollars. Yes. And I'm 28 being like, I, I should have done this. Yeah. What, am, what am I doing with my life? This kid seven years younger than me is making more money than I'll ever see. What's going on? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So everybody's always out there. Uh, I was watching the, the Today Show when we were iced in. I never get to watch it anymore. But they were uh, doing a thing on side hustles. And Al Roker was joking. He was like, we should call that a second job. Yeah, right. But, <laughs> but this, I, everybody's out there hustling now. And it, it trickles down. And I feel like, uh, you know, teenagers are always watching, uh, or kids just in general are always watching this, but teenagers especially. Um, and so they're learning our habits. So we as adults, we're always putting a lot of pressure on us of getting out there and hustling and doing this, doing that, and not always making time for ourselves. Um, and then the teenagers feel like they have to do that as well. And then it just is a trickle, you know, and a creates a cycle where you don't get enough rest. And if you're not getting enough rest, we know that can actually be worse for your mental health as well. So Right. So as a professional, are you supportive of parents limiting screen time and stuff on kids' phones? A hundred percent. And the problem with that is, again, kids are always watching us. And as parents, we have to do it ourselves too. So if, you know, if our child sees us playing on our phone or constantly on the computer, how are they ever going to do it? So it starts from the top. We have to, as parents and grandparents, we have to put our phones away. Um, and hopefully our kids watching us do that, that will influence them and it make it be okay that we're limited in screen time. Um, I also, and I mean, I don't know, everybody has different opinions about this. I also am a little hesitant for social media for a lot of our kids. You know, I, I don't, and I'm here to say, I don't know the right age for it. Um, because to me, 
You also want to let them start some social media and trickling that in while they're still under your roof and you can still control some of it so that that way it's not like they go, you know, send them off to college and they join every social media out there and who knows what's happening because they don't know how to manage it, you know. So it's like I understand that you have to do it before they turn 18 and go to college, but I also don't know the right age because you also have to protect them too. So it's, you know, you got to really find that balance. Um, I don't I don't think you can go one extreme or the other, like give it to your 10-year-old, but I also don't think limiting, completely cutting it out um, is good either because then if you're not there monitoring it, who knows what's going to happen. Right. And that's how a lot of young people socialize outside of the school building or outside of work. Man, I remember having to give an MLA format presentation almost to my mom to convince her to let me have a MySpace. (laughs) And now I'm getting Facebook friend requests from cousins that I remember when they were born. Mm -hmm. It's like social media is... A, st- a staple of our culture that I don't think it's been before, Mm-mm. especially for younger people. Mm-mm. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. So try and I'm not here to say that I have the perfect way um, to navigate this, but we can definitely go into a little bit more about just how important monitoring it is as from a parent grandparent perspective, you know, healthy relationships with social media is fun, you know, being able to see all of my friends from high school and college and um, watching their kids grow up, you know, I, you know, it's fun being able to see all of that and being able to connect and interact with people who you don't get to see on an everyday basis. But yet it's uh, such an amazing opportunity that we have that I'm able to see, you know, people, uh, for example, um, so my 20 year high school reunion is this year. Well, it was last year, but we're just finally getting to it. So anyway, we have had like a little Facebook group where we are organizing it. And a girl that I graduated with lives out in California. And turns out her um, parents were in an accident and were admitted to the hospital. And she had messaged asking, you know, kind of giving an update. And I was working at the hospital that weekend and we were able to connect. I never would have been able to see. I haven't seen her in 20 years since I graduated high school. Um, But I was able to be there and help her, you know, at the hospital when I never would have been able to do that before had it not been for something like social media. That's really cool. You know, so it has amazing benefits to it. And it's really cool that you're able to do that. But, you know, there's the downsides, just like everything. So, you know, like we always say, everything is good in moderation. You know, diabetics can eat sugar in moderation. You know, everything is okay as long as you do it in moderation. So I think the same thing needs to be applied to to, uh, social media. So. Uh, so before the break, we kind of started our discussion about depression and um, brought up the topic of social media and just about how it is not only is it affecting our teenagers, it's affecting adult lives as well. And definitely contributing some, to, in my opinion, to um, the rise of depression that we have seen in our kids and teens. Um, so we're going to talk today about how to recognize it. I feel like that's really important because... Um, you know, a lot of people don't like to talk about it. For some reason, they, there's still a stigma about it. And so how can you better recognize it in a family member, in a friend, um, especially in our kids? We want to make sure we're able to, to watch out for that. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, but as we talked about, uh, you know, some of the statistics and how we've seen more depression and anxiety in our adolescents, I was just going to, the most recent statistic I saw, and I need, I'm sure there's a 
better one out there, but the one that I could find was in um, 2014, so I'm sure it's actually even higher now, but it was up to 11% of teenagers have uh, depression. And anxiety, it was one in three adolescents are complaining of anxiety. Um, For adults, and the last one I could see was uh, 2020, which I honestly would have thought it would have been higher, uh, but it was up to 18% of adults had uh, clinical depression, which is a pretty good bit. I mean, especially for 2020, uh, I would like to see even more recent data, but 2020 was the latest I could find for adults. Um, But that's in the U.S. 18% of adults in the U.S. have complained of depression. And that's almost one in five. And I I bet now it's probably at least 20% if you had to really break down the numbers. So that's, uh, you know, one in five adults is going to have problems with depression. Uh, And so all that being said, this is a very important topic, and that's why I wanted to bring it up. And I feel like, especially the past week, uh, with all this cold weather and, you know, the wintry mix we had, and we were all locked in our houses for a couple of days, and people probably had a little uh, PTSD from COVID times, uh, you know, not being able to leave the house and really get out and do much, uh, it, it affects you. You know, I, you know, it, we have a term uh, for, you know, seasonal affective disorder, and some people out there listening may be affected by this, but essentially that is during the colder months in the fall and in the winter time, uh, symptoms of depression come around, and then once spring and summer come, all that usually gets better. And it's true, I mean, it happens. It's very easy to when you're, you know, it gets darker a lot earlier, uh, you're not able to be out in the light as much, and it can truly affect your mental health too. So, uh, so this time of year, it's some people's symptoms do tend to get worse, and it may be that you just have the seasonal affective disorder, um, or it could be that you have underlying depression that just seems to get a little bit worse during these times. So um, so that's why I wanted to bring it up. I thought tonight, today would be a good topic, uh, a good time to bring it up because we're probably all experiencing a little bit of it now. But depression is more than just feeling down. You know, a lot of people, that's what we think of when we think of depression is we think of feeling down. And a lot of it is, you know, don't get me wrong. Um, the the sad feelings, the not feeling like you want to get out and do much, um, Feelings are definitely part of depression, but there's a lot of other things that go with it, too. And so we always like to, whenever people come in and complain about just kind of like generalized symptoms where they don't really have a, a specific thing, they just say, I just, Doc, I just don't feel good. We hear that a lot. And they can't really tell you a specific thing. Um, and every time somebody comes in with that, I always try to screen for depression. I always say, well, how's your mood doing? Well, I mean, you know, I have my days and that usually kind of prompts me to go on and let's let's investigate this a little bit further. And so we have a screening tool. It's called the PHQ-9. So if you have ever been diagnosed with clinical depression or maybe you've been screened for it, um, technically, we're supposed to really try to do that for almost all of our patients. It doesn't always get done. Um, but we at least try to ask the first two questions of the PHQ-9. Uh, but essentially what that is looking for is just screening for signs of depression that may not be just feeling down. I was going to see if I could actually pull it up for you. Um, but the nine questions that we have are little interest or pleasure in doing things feeling down, depressed, or hopeless. And here are where some of the other symptoms may come into play that you don't really think about, but trouble falling asleep or staying asleep, or the opposite, sleeping too much, um, feeling tired or having little energy, um, poor appetite, or the opposite, overeating, 
feeling bad about yourself or that you're a failure, trouble concentrating on things. I don't think a lot of people realize that. Um, and I will see this a lot to kind of to kind of make a full circle with the trouble concentrating on things. We see this a lot in our patients as they get older um, with memory problems. So a lot of patients that come in with memory problems, you know, once you hit 60, 65, and you're having worsening problems with your memory, a lot of times when we kind of delve a little bit deeper, they actually have some underlying depression there. And so they have problems with their memory and having trouble concentrating. Um, and so we always, we're always we always keeping depression in the back of our mind. So trouble concentrating on things, um, moving or speaking slowly that other people have noticed, or the opposite, being really fidgety or restless, and you feel like you have to move around all the time. Um, and then lastly is thoughts that you'd be better off dead or hurting yourself. So those are some some of the questions and that just kind of shows you that it's more than just feeling down it's a lot of other symptoms that can be happening um what gets tricky when we talk about teenagers is a lot of teenagers do some of this stuff you know a lot of teenagers uh sleep all the time that's just again a lot of that is just part of their nature um where you know they go to bed at 12 and they sleep till 12 o'clock the next day um and that has to do more with just like developmental things but you know this is like excessive sleeping where you know they still go to bed at eight o'clock and sleep till 12 and they don't want to get out of the bed and that kind of thing um Another thing that teenagers like to do is they like to be left alone. They like to go to their room. Um, and so sometimes it can be really hard to tell, are they just a normal teenager being, you know, a little hard-headed teenager, or is there something really going on, you know? Um, and then overeating, too. I feel like especially teenage boys, they love to eat. And so is it – are they eating because they're growing, or are they eating because it's their comfort? So, you know, it can be really tricky, and this is when, you know, if it's something that you're really concerned about, you may want to bring to the doctor so that you can kind of talk to the doctor one-on-one, and we can – a lot of times what we'll do is we'll get the parents to step out of the room so that we can talk to the teenagers one-on-one, too, and try to get a better feel for what's going on. Um, if you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. I know it's a little uh, touchy subject, so you can always just call and leave a question, or you can send us an email to kids at mpbonline.org. I have a question, Doc. Yeah, go ahead. When, uh, as a professional, when you're talking about mental health issues, do you see more female children or male children come in with these problems? Um pretty 50-50, but if I had to say more, it'd be girls. Really? Mm-hmm. Um, mm, probably like 65-35, I guess you would say, because it's, it, it's, it's fairly 50-50, um, but we do probably get a little bit more girls than boys, especially gotcha. as they get a little bit older. Now, yes. the younger ones, like, um, you know, 10 to 14, it's I would say it's pretty even, but as they get older, teenagers... Just in my practice, it's a little bit more girls. Yeah. And, and you know, they're at that developmental age where hormones are going crazy. Mm-hmm. Can hormonal changes affect mental health while we're talking about it? Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, you know, boys, maybe not. At, I don't see it as much at, as girls, um, but definitely with menstrual cycles and all the hormonal changes that ca- girls have every month, we definitely see that that can be a lot worse. Um, and sometimes, you know, getting on birth control can help that. Sometimes it makes it worse. You know, we have to kind of just find the balance with that. But definitely with females, we see that a lot. 
Yeah. I, my psychiatrist or my therapist, she did tell me that sometimes medication for mental health can be a little bit of trial and error. Mm-hmm. You kind of have to try different types before you find what really fits. Um, is there a certain age with your child patients that you say, OK, let's try some mental medication? Or do you hold off on that almost completely until adult years? No, we do. We go in and start it. I have a couple of nine, eight, nine year olds that have had to be on medicines before. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I personally, as a pediatrician, don't start it that young. Um, I usually refer them to a specialist. Um, but for teenagers, you know, starting at age 12 and up, we def- we I feel a little more comfortable managing it once they hit the age of like 12. Um, but younger than that, I usually do send them to a specialist. But yeah, there's definitely younger kids that have been owned medicines. So, you know, for that, uh, for depression, and we'll, we was going to talk a little bit about like how we treat depression, but um, especially the younger kids, a lot of times it's situational. But, you know, they don't always know how to manage those symptoms because we talked, uh, you know, a little bit about their frontal cortex. You know, the prefrontal cortex is not always uh, fully developed. And so some of their decision-making processes, it's, you know, they just don't know how to manage a lot of those feelings that they're feeling. Because a lot of the feelings that they're feeling are natural feelings. They just don't know how to handle them. Um, And it can be more overwhelming to some kids than others, if that makes sense. And so a lot of times just going to counseling and learning how to handle some of those situations and those feelings that you're having. Um, I love counseling. I think it's a great option for people. Um, A lot of it is, you know, you talking to them and they're teaching you coping mechanisms for both the depression and and the anxiety. But what a lot of people don't realize about counseling is when you're talking about it and you're saying it out loud, you have so much introspection and self-reflection from that, that you kind of learn some of your triggers and some of what you hear yourself say that, oh, well, that's probably making it worse. Why am I doing that? You know, kind of thing. Or, hey, maybe I shouldn't do that next time. And that may help me too. So yes, you're gaining a lot of skills from your therapist, but you also gain so much learning about yourself just by talking through things. Yeah. I tell people all the time, the best thing my therapist ever did for me was tell me it's okay to feel the things that I feel. Exactly. Yeah. And I think a lot of kids just need reassurance with that. I mean, adults as well. Um, And I think that's part of why counseling can be so helpful because, again, a lot of the feelings that we're feeling as adults, as kids and teenagers are normal feelings. We just need to learn how to better manage some of those feelings. And that's when counseling can play a role now but for some kids and for some adults these feelings can be overwhelming and it can actually interfere with um, you know your daily life and the way that you're able to operate and when that becomes a problem sometimes we do need some medicines Um, and so getting on a medicine is okay and honestly the best way to treat depression is a medication and therapy And so when you combine it together, that's when you're going to get the most benefit from it. And I always try to tell people, too, up front, when we're starting you on a medicine for it, to try to go in and do the counseling, too, so that hopefully you can, again, learn those skills, have the self-reflection, figure out what is kind of triggering you for some of these things, how you can better manage and cope with these skills, so that hopefully one day you could potentially come off your medicine. You know, uh, you may not have to stay on the medicine. And for my patients, when I first start them on a medicine, I see them back in six to eight weeks. And then after that, depending on their symptoms, I'll see them every three to six months. Um, And we're 
we're always reassessing to see, okay, well, how are we doing? Do you want to try to come off your medicine? Do you feel like you can come off your medicine? Um, so that we can hopefully potentially get you off the medicine. You don't have to stay on it forever. But there are some people that just like the way the medicine makes them feel. They feel like a better person. They're able to function a little bit better. And that's totally fine if you need to stay on your medicine. So um, I always try to preface it with that when I start therapy, that we'll, we'll continue to try to come off the medicine eventually, but you may not be able to, and that's okay too. You know, um, It's kind of like blood pressure. You can do a lot of lifestyle changes, but sometimes you just have to stay on your medicine. Same thing with diabetes. Um, um, so we always try to reassess that and potentially get you off your medicine if we can. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens and MPB Think Radio. We are talking today about depression and a little bit about anxiety as well, but kind of focusing a little bit more on depression and what to do. Uh, well, first, we've talked a lot about, you know, just how more prevalent uh, we are seeing depression in our adults as well as our uh, kids and teens. And now we're, we talked some about how to recognize it. And now I want to talk about what to do if you see that in a family member, because I feel like, um, you know, you may notice it and you just don't know how to handle it. You're scared to approach them about it because it's, again, kind of a taboo topic. And so what can you do as a parent or as a friend or a spouse or a cousin, whatever it may be, whoever you see it in? Um, so I want to go into what to do if you think your teen is depressed or you think a family member or a friend is depressed. But we do have a caller on the line. Um, so we will go to Dan. Good morning, Dan. What's going on? Good morning. Um, I was just listening to the show, and I was thinking more along the lines of the differentiation between the uh, anxiety and the depression itself. And it's kind of like, what's the chicken and what's the egg? Does anxiety lead to depression, or do people present with uh, depression, which... um, uh, intensifies anxiety is there when you see the, the people in your office what 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 do you normally see is someone coming in anxious or do you see someone coming in in full-blown uh, depression yeah that's a good question because there is a lot of overlap between the two um, so majority of patients are going to have a little bit of both um, but when you break it down they'll kind of tell you a little bit about you know, I think I probably feel a little more depressed or a little more anxious. And everybody's different. Um, but for majority of patients, I would say probably wow, 75% of patients I see, they have a little bit of both. Um, so not everybody, but a lot of people do. And, and you know, that's kind of the same for a lot of the of the mental health and, you know, when we look back at some of our teenagers, too, a lot of our kids who experience ADHD have a lot of overlap with anxiety. Um, you know, in some of the learning disorders, there's lots of overlap as well. So it's that we see that a trend a lot throughout mental health conditions. Is there a pattern that has developed over the years that you can uh, specifically point to the uh, social media? I know you say it. It, it's prevalent, and it just seems like it was it was bad enough in in uh, junior high, navigating through high school as it was when I was growing up. But now, uh, it just seems like that it would be impossible to get through that with the uh, pressures that that are, are coming, you know, from all sides with that. And and number two, 
how difficult is it to have these young people uh, trust you enough to open up when when you ask them questions about that? Uh, so those are both really good questions, and we, Lacey and I, kind of talked about it a little bit earlier. Just how. I don't know how you can't say social media is not affecting our our mental health crisis that we have with anxiety and depression. Because, I mean, you know, even as adults, we put these pressures on ourselves and compare ourselves to other people, much less put these pressures on teenagers who aren't always the best decision makers. And, you know, then they have all these outside pressures on them. Of course, you know, it's going to flare up some of those symptoms. So I I think the other thing, too, is um, this generation is a lot better at recognizing it, and they're a lot more outspoken about it. You know, uh, me growing up and definitely people older than me, you know, it was not really talked about. You didn't really bring it up. Um, And now it's a lot more – people are a lot more open about it, which I think has been a great thing because people – are more willing to talk about it instead of just sitting in their feelings. And so, you know, I think it's kind of twofold from that aspect, but definitely the pressures of society and social media have 100% affected it and have made the numbers worse. Um, With regards to getting teenagers to open up, oh, that is, yeah. Very tough. Yeah. Um, you know, we have a whole group of adolescent physicians. We don't. It's it's a hard, thankless job, and there's not many people that want to do it. <laughs> understandably, um, so as med peds doctors, we get a lot of those patients because we see kids, we see adults, and you know, we take care of a lot of the young adolescents that um, people don't want to take. You know. Or not don't want to take care of that's a bad way to word it or don't feel comfortable taking care of I guess would you know be the better term and so teenagers fall into that category a lot of times um, and so frequent visits help a lot um, you know trying to create a relationship with them so that they feel open talking to you about it um, trying to find commonality too so you know I always just try to like um, not you don't want to relate to them too much because I feel like that actually pushes them away when you're trying a little too hard. Um, but just trying to find some commonality with them to create that connection with them can be really helpful too. And then as always, we try to get the parents to step out of the room and to create that trust so that they know that it's just you and them in the room and that they can talk to you. Um, those are some of the tools that I use. Uh, but a lot of times I have to rely on my my colleagues in psychiatry and in counseling that can that are a lot better at it than me um, and that can see them a little bit more frequently because that to me that's the key to the relationship is seeing them more frequently that's absolutely well listen i I listen to the show i I really appreciate you taking tough subjects like this and and sharing it with the uh, public here and uh, you just keep on I, I appreciate it all right thank you so much for your call we appreciate it. All right, so you have been listening to the show and you realize that, hey, a lot of these things are what I see in my kid or my spouse or my my mother. You know, it could be anybody. What should you do about it? Well, first and foremost, talk to them about it and see what's going on. It could just be a situational problem, um, but it could be something deeper. And so you need to kind of know what's going on. Just letting them know that you're there and supporting them can make – 
a huge difference. A lot of people who struggle with anxiety and depression feel alone in there. You know, they don't, they feel like they may be the only person. So just actually talking about it um, can be a really big deal. Um, it can make them feel like, hey, I'm not alone in this and somebody cares. And that can be very important. Uh, for our kids, we want to try to foster a very healthy environment for their mental health. We want to make sure that they're getting plenty of sleep. I can't stress that enough. Um, and the same for adults. You want to make sure you're getting a good night's sleep and exercise. Exercise really is so good. Not only is it good for your heart, obviously, and your blood pressure and all the things like that, um, but if you have ever you know, been a consistent exerciser, you know just what a difference it can make in your mood. Um, and I've actually had a couple of patients who have come in for particularly anxiety. I feel like maybe not as much depression, but anxiety. And we talk about getting out there and getting active and doing some exercise. And just like 15, 20 minutes in a 20 minutes a day, getting out there and exercising some can be so good for your mental health. And I've had a couple of patients that are like, I feel so much better just now after creating an exercise routine. Um, so sleep and exercise can be very good. Limiting screen time. Um, and again, this is for adults too. This is for kids and teens, but adults as well. You know, we are putting pressure on ourselves um, just as nature of humans. So if we're on our screens too much, there's just too many other things out there that can can lead to stress. And it's not just social media. It's watching the news. I mean, you know, I... I finally had to turn off the news a couple of months ago when everything happened, um, you know, with Israel and, and the Gaza Strip. Like, it was just too much for me. I, I had to make the conscious decision to say, I can't watch this anymore because it was make I literally didn't sleep for two or three nights. Um, so, you know, it's not just it's not just social media. It's all the other things. And it's our kids, too, with what they watch, you know. So if they're watching scary movies, if they're watching shoot 'em up shows or playing video games with who knows what. I don't, I'm not a video game person, so I don't know. But I know there's all kinds of, like, very violent things that they can watch on TV and on video games. Uh, that can be very detrimental to their health. Some kids, you know, some kids internalize a lot of that stuff. So really watching what they're putting on there, uh, putting on the screens, but also limiting the amount of screen time that they have can can be really important. And then the other thing with our kids, too, is bullying. It's such a big top. I mean, a big thing that's happening these days. And it's not the old, you know, bullying that we think about where people, you know, pull your backpack and make you fall down or push you in the hall. It's, it's things that are happening behind the scenes. So, you know, the school may not have been alerted to it. And you may not ever know about it unless you sit and talk to your kid and ask them what's going on. So, it's really important to make sure that you're talking to your child um, and seeing what's happening behind the scenes and there's nothing that you're missing. And I'm all about parents. I mean, I, I, I know there, again, this is another thing with social media. We talked about trying to find that balance, and I don't know the perfect answer. Um, and I don't have the perfect answer for this either, but I feel like as parents, you have to do some kind of monitoring of your kid's phone and everything because um, – you know, there's no way for you to know. Obviously, you have to talk to your child, but they're not going to tell you everything. Um, and as a parent, I feel like it's our responsibility to make sure that we know what's happening in our kids' lives. And sometimes that is monitoring their phones a little bit. So we have to respect our kids' privacies because that's the only way you're going to be able to create that connection. They want to be treated like an adult, even though they're not adults. They think they are. So you have to give them some of that respect and respect their privacy. But you also have to find that balance where you're monitoring 
um, some of their phones as well. So, okay, so we've talked a lot about just the rise of depression that we see and some of the external factors that are probably playing a role in it, um, whether it be social media, screen time, bullying, um, the seasonal changes, the environment that we're in. You know, there's so many different external factors that could be playing a role in it. Um, and then we talked some about the symptoms of it. So it, it is definitely feeling down, um, but it also can affect your sleep. Uh, you know, either sleeping too much or not being able to sleep. Same thing with your appetite, eating too much or not wanting to eat anything. Difficulty concentrating on things, um, having little energy, no desire to get up and do anything. So these are all different symptoms that could be happening with depression. And so what you should be looking for. Um, So now you have found that. I mean, you've seen that in somebody and you talk to them and you do realize they are suffering some from depression. What do you do? So I talked a little bit about, you know, just fostering a good environment for mental health with um Good sleep, healthy appetite, getting out and exercising. Uh, We talked about making sure there's no bullying or anything else going on that could be causing it to be um, some of these symptoms to be flaring up. And now what can we do about it? That's what I want to talk about now in the last little bit of time we have left. So we kind of mentioned this earlier, but counseling is a lot of the places where we like to start. Um, and depending on how severe your counseling, I mean, how severe your depression symptoms are, you know, we may go on and push you a little bit more towards counseling plus a medicine. Um, but we always like to start with counseling if we can. So, you know, those questions that I read off earlier, that PHQ-9, uh, what we do is we can score you. And based off of where you fall, we kind of can risk uh stratify you into mild, moderate, or severe depression. And depending on that, that can help us guide therapy. I and most physicians, I feel like, are not going to be a medication pusher, and they're going to be very um, respectful of your decision. And there's a lot of people that don't want a medicine, and that's fine. Um, But, you know, we always try to kind of find that balance of where we feel like you would best be treated for it. So um, if you fall in that moderate to severe category of depression, you know, they may offer you a medicine, but that doesn't mean you have to take it if you don't want to. Um, So... Counseling is one of the first places we start, cognitive behavioral therapy. Again, you know, it's a lot of... treatment from the from the counselor whether that be a you know a psychologist social worker whoever it may be that is your counselor uh, you know giving you some tips and some different tools to use for your symptoms and to help you in your daily functioning but there's also so much introspection and self-reflection that happens with counseling and just you talking about it out loud and you know number one just talking about it can make you feel better in general but two when you actually hear it come out of your mouth you're like oh I guess I never realized that. You know, it's just so many things that you find out about yourself through counseling. Um, With regards to medications, majority of our medicines that treat depression are medicines that you have to take every day. Um, And so that is one of the side effects, I mean, one of the things that people are kind of turned off about. So they don't really like to take a medicine every day. But the reason we do that is all majority of our um, depression medicines work on the hormone serotonin. 
And so what they're doing is they're increasing the levels of serotonin in your body. And so for that, you need to take it consistently. Um, some of the other ones work on norepinephrine as well. So we'll see some that do um, serotonin and norepinephrine too. And, you know, these are our big class of medicines like Prozac, Paxil, Zoloft, Celexa, Lexapro. People, a lot of people have heard of those medicines. They've been around for a long time. Just because it works for me doesn't mean it's going to work for Lacey. Doesn't mean it's going to work for my kid. You know, it's like there's so many medicines out there. They're all based off of the same kind of formula, but they're all tweaked a little bit differently, which means everybody's going to respond differently. So don't be discouraged if you get started on a medicine and it doesn't work. Um, We have other options and there are plenty. Sometimes it takes some tweaking before we figure out exactly what works for you. Um, The other thing is, is these medicines don't work right away. And they take a good four to six weeks to see the full effects of it. Um, So that's another important thing to know if you do get started on a medicine. Um, A lot of people get worried about, are you going to become addicted to these medicines? And you're not addicted to these medicines, but you also can't stop them cold turkey. And it's not because your body is addicted to them. Again, it's the changes in the hormone levels in your body. You know, we've increased these levels of serotonin. And if we just cut them off, you're going to feel pretty terrible. So it's not like you're withdrawing necessarily because you're addicted. It's because your body has to rebalance after having those hormonal changes that we have created. So um, we do have a caller, so let's go quick to Gerald. Hey, Gerald, we got just a couple of minutes. Okay, yeah. Uh, thank you for taking my call, and uh, I'm in a particular area, but I just had a quick comment, you know, about, and a question, I guess, too, about how to deal with this. But, you know, as a parent, you know, of teenagers and mine are, you know, kind of leaving the teenage years, but, you know, sometimes as a parent, we go through depression because you know our kids you know they're trying to be independent and they kind of you know go on leave me alone you know kind of push you away and and that hurts us too you know so you know how how do we sometimes as parents you know deal with that aspect of it you know and and trying to relate to our kids and you know or maybe contributing to our own depression you know just uh what are your thoughts on that yeah, so that's tough, too, because we focus so much on the kids, we don't think about the parents. And it, it's hard. You know, a lot of those the teenage attitudes can be a really frustrating time, and it can be difficult for parents. So I think you bring up a good topic. First and foremost, I recommend just open communication with your kids as much as you can. You know, again, you got to find the balance. You don't want to be pushy and invading their privacy because you have to respect that because that's part of their things. They want to be treated as adults. Um, So just trying to find that balance and keeping that open communication. The other thing especially if it's truly starting to cause a problem in your relationship, is family counseling Um, and, you know, going to counseling with your child. Um, I had a a couple of patients, really actually in the past couple of months, that I've had to refer over, and it's crazy the difference that it made. Um, And one of them was like, I'm never going to get my dad to be able to go to this. And he 
they finally did. And uh, when I saw them back for their follow-up, they were like, it's crazy. Like, it's been wonderful. So, you know, it's it's uh, it's a great option for families out there, too. So if it's becoming that significant of a problem where both the child and the parent's mental health is being affected by it, there is family counselors out there that can be very helpful for you, too. The other thing I would suggest is trying to just schedule time for family, you know, making sure that you have your, um, you know, eat supper together, go on little day trips together. It doesn't have to be far, you know, just something to get outside together and do some kind of activities together. And slowly but surely, you'll break down those walls. It's probably not going to happen overnight. That's just a normal thing with teenagers. Nothing is going to change overnight. Um, It's kind of like what I mentioned earlier, that part of the way I treat teenagers with depression is just seeing them more frequently. So you just slowly have to break down those walls. But again, family counseling has been very helpful if it's truly starting to affect your mental health or your child's mental health too. Can be can be very helpful. All right. Well, thank you all, everybody, for these calls today and for the discussion. If there was something that we missed, give us an um, email, kids at mpbonline.org. This has been Southern Remedy Kids and Teens, a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and Think Radio, and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and generous support from listeners like you. Join us next Thursday at 11 for Southern Remedy Kids and Teens, and stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.